We're back. I'm Drew McGarry. And I'm David Roth. And uh, coming in September 2020, a new site we have built together called... Defector. Defector, and we're going to have a new podcast to go with it. This very podcast, which has the name... The Distraction. It's out right now, and it's available everywhere else you get your podcast. At Stitcher, Spotify, Apple. Go listen right now to The Distraction everywhere. It's out right now. Go listen. See ya. Bye. When I turned 18 and gained the right to vote, I was that girl that did not vote because I didn't think that it counted. Deadass. Well, when I started to make more money is when I started to question my political alliances. And then when I moved back to Brooklyn is when I realized how wrong I was and what I thought politics really means. Mm. Deadass. Hey, I'm Kadeen. And I'm DeVal. And we're the Ellis's. You may know us from posting funny videos with our boys. And reading each other publicly as a form of therapy. Wait, I make you need therapy? Most days. Wow. (laughs) Oh, and one more important thing to mention, we're married. Yes, sir, we Mm -hmm. are. We created this podcast to open dialogue about some of life's most taboo topics. Things most folks don't want to talk about. Through the lens of a millennial married couple. Deadass is a term that we say every day. When we say deadass, we're actually saying facts. 100. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. (laughs) We're about to take pillow talk to a whole new level. Deadass starts now. So this is 2009, I believe. We just moved back to Brooklyn. Kadeen and I had decided that we didn't want to stay in Michigan after I was released. So we moved back to Brooklyn and uh, stayed in my grandmother's apartment. Uh, Like I've said before on many occasions, we had lost a ton of money in the stock market because the economy was literally crashing as we were going through the recession. And I was no longer playing football. So a lot of my liquid capital I didn't have access to. I owned property. Um, I had stocks, so I had assets. I just didn't have liquid capital. So we moved back to Brooklyn, and I started building my company, and I started mentoring young men. And after going through everything I went through with money, I just focused all of my politics on money. Mm. And it wasn't until we got back to Brooklyn I started mentoring these young men, and I started hearing firsthand the situations they were dealing with, with police, with stop and frisk, uh, when Kadeen got pregnant and we were trying to find early childhood education that I realized there's so much more to politics than just money. And it's funny because when you when you start to make a lot of money and you feel like you can buy your way out of certain situations, it don't seem like it affects you. And it wasn't until we moved back to Brooklyn and I started to have these conversations with these young men about what they were going through on a daily basis that I realized that politics was a lot more than just money. Wow. That hit home for you, huh? Definitely. Get up, stand up, do 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 stand up for your rights. Doom doom. Get up, stand up, stand up for your rights. Don't give up the fight. You know that's Cairo's favorite song, I was right? Ju- as I said, just don't give up the fight. I thought about it. That's that is Cairo's, Cairo's favorite song. He's he sings little, that all the time. He's a little rebel, and it's in his he little, is. you know, Cairo Shakur. It makes sense. He got Shakur's yeah, he gonna middle get up name. and stand up for something. He loves Bob Marley. He does. Jackson loves Bob Marley too. I know. I made sure my kids were, you know, yes. about that and culture. And Bob was a great dude. We talk about impact and culture from in musicians politics. and people who made their life 
really about what their message is, Bob Marley has to be number one. Absolutely. He has to he be. He lived up to that, man. He lived I it. mean, a worldwide sensation it. that just preached yes. love and unity, unity and togetherness. And peace. And happiness and wealth being more From than just small island, riches. From a small island. Small yeah. island. Was able to reach the entire world. Shout out to Bob. Someone recently asked me that, too. If I could bring somebody back to yes. just witness. On the red carpet. Oh, it was on the red carpet. Yes. yes. At Tyler you Perry's said Bob grand Marley. opening. I said Bob Marley. If I could bring someone back to witness where we are now, although I feel like some of our ancestors who have gone on might be shaking their head at us like, what is going on? But we have made some progress, um, though. But there are, there are some, some great moments. Yeah, there's some great moments that I would love to share with them. So. Absolutely. So we're talking about politics today, guys. Mm-hmm. And we think it's important to talk about politics because on a previous podcast, we had politics as one of the main things that people should speak about when they're dating. Oh, yes. That was one of the top five. Yes, one of the top five. Talking about politics and what used to be taboo and you never mention or speak to in public about, you know, with people. Right. This is something that we want you to be informed about when you're making your voter decisions. And I think it was important for us to talk about because we always speak about relationship issues on this show. Mm -hmm. And we always speak about the things that can help create a more healthy relationship. And I feel like if two people are evenly yoked when they talk about spirituality, Mm -hmm. you know, if they can discuss politics, Politics, Mm -hmm. they can get a greater idea about the other person's moral compass if you know what they're voting for, why they're voting for, who they're voting for. And I also believe that as millennials, we have a lot more independent thinkers than we've had, you know. In previous generations. For sure. We're all pushing. There's a lot more people pushing the envelope now. Yes. Asking the whys. Yes. And they want that explanation and they're willing to go find out the answer. Yes. And I also see that um, a lot of people like to utilize social media. For example, I saw a video of, it was Donald Trump, and he was surrounded by a bunch of um, black college kids. And there was a young black man just up there saying, like, we love Donald Trump. We love Donald Trump. And what happens is, is if people don't educate themselves mm-hmm. on who they should vote for, sometimes they just see images and follow the images and say, mm-hmm. hey, if they're saying this, then it must be true. Right. So I think it's or important for us to- this is a TV app to stand next to somebody and just be right. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, no. I, and I think no. that it's, it's important for us to educate ourselves, you know, and say, you know what? Let's make the right decision for us. All right. So today we're talking about doing the right thing, especially when it comes to politics and the political climate that we're in right now. So our special guest for today is Miss Ashanti Golar, and she is uh, responsible for a blog for women, women of color particularly, that gives advice on how to get involved in politics, shares news about how politics impact women of color, and shares information about women of color running for elected office on the Brown Girls Guide to politics. I'm here. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Yes, Ashanti, thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to be on, especially during GOTV season. I mean, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing, amazing. So, you know, we're talking about political climate, um, voting decisions, you know, especially with the current political climate that we have going on in this country. Um, Why... Was this important to you? Tell me about your an experience that made this a need for you, or you saw this as a necessity necessity to start the um, the bgguide.com. So the idea came to me as I was actually reflecting upon being in D.C. for almost 10 years and just really taking it all in because I never saw myself as a black woman who could be in D.C. doing politics at the national level. And that came from the fact that I never saw a lot of black women from my home state 
state, Nevada, doing politics. So it goes back to when you think about the phrase, if you don't see it, you can't be it. And I never thought that I could be it. So I really wanted to do something to pay it forward because I also knew that I was in the position that I was in because of women who had uplifted me, some of them white women, a lot of them women of color. And I was just thinking about all of those other young brown girls who were thinking, oh, I can't do that because I don't see a lot of people do it. But then also the ones who are trying to do it and then had a ton of questions and were seeking advice. And it was the same things that I was asking myself when I entered into politics. So I consider the Brown Girls Guide to Politics really my love letter to women, especially young women who are coming up in politics. But then also a place for us to see each other and know that we exist and to share our struggles and how we overcome it. And I decided to make the blog really focus on women of color because regardless of if you're a Black woman, a Latina, Indigenous, Asian, when we're in a lot of these political spaces and you're the only one, regardless of your race or ethnicity, we're all going through the same thing. And I wanted us to be able to talk about it. And when I started it, I never really thought that it would take off the way that it did. And I'm very fortunate and blessed that so many women have resonated with with the blog, but then also non-people of color who read the blog because they want to know how they can be better allies and accomplices. Well, that leads me to my first question, which is, um, as as a millennial, um, I have a lot of conversation with Millennials as well as also Gen Z. That's Gen Z is the next. Yeah, right, right? after Gen us. Z, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And the biggest question they have for me sometimes is, okay, when you think about politics, you think about Republicans. And Republicans are all about money, 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 money. So this generation is about, I got to get mine, I got to get mine. So I hear a lot of younger black people ask me questions like, hey, should I be Republican if I'm really about my money? And then I hear other uh, younger black millennials are like, well, if you're about social issues, you know, you should be Democratic. And, it, and for me, I don't know how to answer the question because even, even in this past election, I wondered, like, who do you vote for in a climate where it seems like everyone has their own agenda and sometimes their agenda just doesn't align with me personally? How do you navigate mm-hmm. that in this climate, especially with social media? One of the things that I always tell people is you really have to examine the political parties and you have to examine these candidates. But the most important thing to know is that there's never going to be a single person who is 100% about everything that you're about. Right. There is no perfect candidate unless you run for office. So my first plug for people to run for office, and then you're running on all of the things that you care about. And there are Republicans who have money. There are Democrats who have money. There are Republicans who care about social issues. There are Democrats who care about social issues. You have to look at who is closest to where you want to be at on these issues. When we look at the political climate today, especially millennials, they don't identify with one particular political party as previous generations did. I mean, it's just a fact. We used to be able to say that if you vote three times in a row for a a specific political party, you vote for that party the rest of your life. We really can't say that anymore. So many Mm -hmm. millennials are registering as independent because they are independent thinkers. Right. So it's 
really not Republicans are about this, Democrats are about that. You have to look at the individual candidates who you are going to cast a vote for and who is going to best represent you. So you have to get out of that mind of every Democrat is the same, every Republican is the same because they're not. Gotcha. I think that was my particular struggle. At the top of the show, my soundbite was that, you know, I turned um, 18 and it was like, oh, great, I have this right to vote right now. And then I found myself in that very first election not voting. And that was mainly because, of course, it was just me being younger and kind of just having that ignorance towards this uh, ability that I have that my, you know, ancestors has fought for. It's like this big thing around voting because it's like so many people before me, you know, fought for this right for me. But at the same time, too, I struggled with this, well, I don't know who this perfect candidate is. Like in my mind, there was this perfect candidate that I was looking for that I didn't see. So it was like becoming this thing where I'm It was Martin Luther King. Because we all thought the perfect candidate was, was Martin Luther like, King growing Martin, up. That Martin, was, where you at, though? Like, come on, man, brother. If he, were, if he was here, he'd have been my prime candidate to vote for. <laughs> but no, for me, it was also a thing where it's like, do I just now vote for the lesser of two evils? And to me, that didn't even seem mm-hmm. right either. So what do you say to those young women um, or just young individuals who are like, you know what, I'm not going to vote because my vote doesn't really count. Or I'm not going to vote because it's like, I just don't want to vote for the lesser of two evils. How do we navigate that with this generation? Oh, my gosh. So two things here, and I totally relate to everything that you just said. Back in 2014, I was doing HBCU engagement out in Georgia. So I was at Clark Atlanta, Morehouse, Spelman, like went across the state to the HBCUs. And when I encountered young people, they're like, I'm registered to vote. I want to vote. I just don't know who to vote for. I don't know who these candidates are. And for me, it's also very incumbent on these candidates to make sure that they're doing the proper outreach. And we've also just gotten away from really doing good civic engagement in school that so many people just don't even know why they should vote for their county commissioner, their city council, their sheriff, the DAs. We can have an entire conversation about the need to have more DAs that are women and people of color. 90% of DAs are white men, and then we want to want wonder why our criminal justice system looks the way that it does. So there definitely is that part where we need more education on what all these roles do and why we need to be voting for them and how they impact our daily lives. And then the work that I do in my professional career, I have literally seen women lose by one vote. That is not a joke literally have run campaigns for two years, three years, just to lose by one vote. In local government? I have seen local local government. I have seen women lose by a coin toss because in several states, the law is that if an election ends up in a tie, you do a coin toss. Wow. So mm. imagine hustling for so long to lose your race because you didn't choose heads or tails. Wow. So when we're talking about voting, it really does matter. If we want to even look at the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton did get more votes than Donald Trump. She just didn't win the Electoral College. Mm -hmm. So imagine what would have happened if in those three states that Trump won, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, more people would have turned out. What would this country look like today? Your vote is sacred. Your vote is important. And I especially say for 
people of color and millennials, if our votes weren't so important, they wouldn't be working so hard to suppress them because they know what happens when we actually get out there, right. turn out and yes, vote and because we change the trajectory of this country. Sure. Right. For you know sure. what I've noticed, though, um, especially in places like New York, a lot of my kids that are graduated from college, um, you know, they said things to me like, listen, New York is a blue state, so <laughs> it's going to be blue. So for me, voting, it really doesn't matter because it's a blue state. They're, you know, he's going to win. Um, the Democrat always wins New York, so I don't really have to vote, which, you know, it's hard to argue with that. But my mom has always been about local government, like you said. My mm -hmm. mom calls me and my wife for every vote. She works for DP, so she knows all the councilmen, and she she's like, hey— you guys got to get out and vote. Oh, yeah. We get that group and group text in the group chat. Like, we get uh, the did y'all vote today? I'm like, the I didn't even know. And then I'm, sometimes I'm like, I didn't even know there was an election going on. Who are we voting for now, you know? Well, well not but for nothing. It's, just, it's, it's exhausting mm -hmm. to try to keep on top of these things. But if it's important to you. Right. And Kadena That's and I true. talked about when it really became important to us. When we moved back and we were looking for um, early childhood education for our kids. And we realized how important the zoning laws were. You know, who who's your alderman? Who makes sure that the right funding goes to the right public school in your areas? These things made us realize, you know, we should have been out here paying attention to who we got in place in these local governments because oh, yeah. these are the ones who are making decisions about where the resources go to our children. Which is very true, yeah. So it, it, that Absolutely. was important for us. Because at the end of the day, we focus so much on the presidential election cycle and right. who is our commander-in-chief when in reality, it is the state and local elected officials that have the most impact on our everyday lives. Right. I, I was privileged to work in the Obama administration at the Department of Labor, and I was out traveling with Secretary Solis, and this one woman came up to me, and she just started going off on me about this pothole in her street, and why hasn't President Obama fixed her pothole? And she donated to him, and she voted for him, mm -hmm. and she still has this pothole. And I'm like, ma'am, the president doesn't fix potholes. You have right. to be going to your <laughs> right. state right. and local elected officials right. and she goes oh I don't pay attention to them right and that is exactly why you still have that pothole it's extremely important that we know who these people are and those are the elections where people really aren't engaged they broadcast city council meetings and if you look at the audience they're really empty yes no one's no one's there. No one's paying attention. Yes. And then these people continue to get reelected and reelected and nothing changes. And until people really start to pay attention and see the ways in which their elected officials are failing them, you got to vote them out if you want to see that change. But if you're like, it doesn't matter, then it won't matter. And for me, I really don't see blue states, red states, purple states. There's always the opportunity to make change. And just because a state is one way, particularly a blue state, that doesn't mean that all the cities are blue. That doesn't mean every area is blue. There's always the chance to make things better. So the biggest thing is, if you really want to make direct change, like immediately, the best way to go about it is with local government. Like that, that really, Absolutely. especially with your daily, everyday life. And I think it's important that we say that for people, our listeners, mm -hmm. because everyone feels like if they don't have a choice in who is the president, their life is just going to be terrible. Right. You know, we we both thought that at times. No, and, it's um, true. Think about the first time Deval and I actually went to a local city council meeting in our area when we we're in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. And Deval and I were there and we were probably the only. Yeah. 
with the exception the only, of maybe like two or three other well, we were the minority. Only millen- the only millennials of color right. there. All there of the other older, people of color there yes. were over 60. Right, right. But then the majority was... Hasidic Jewish. Yes. And they were there demanding things. And I understood at that point why they get so much priority in Brooklyn because right. they're there. In numbers. And they're demanding things to get done. Right. And if you know if these are your mm-hmm. constituents, you're making sure, well, these are the people who are going to vote me back in. I'm going to make sure things, things get done this way. We talked about zoning laws for school. Why were there so little funds towards public schools in our area? Mm-hmm. That's because the parents of those public schools were not at these meetings. Exactly. And we didn't see it as something that we had to even be involved with until time came for our son to be zoned. Absolutely. You know, into a particular area. And we're like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. What is the school rating? You Another know? story uh, with Mayor, right. <laughs> de Bla- uh, Mayor de Blasio. Yeah. When we were looking at voting, right, you know what made us vote for de Blasio? He talked about universal pre-K, free for everyone in the city. Yes. And for me, that was enough because we had a child and we were thinking about having more children. And it was like, we were looking at pre-K prices. Mm-hmm. And for private school pre-K prices, it was $3,000 a month. And I'm saying to myself, like, who in their right mind can afford to send their child to school for $30,000 at four? Right. What are you going to teach my child? What are you going to teach my child and guarantee me (laughs) at four (laughs) that was going to make it worth sending this child to school for $3,000 a month? And I never paid as much attention to the mayoral race until Mm -hmm. then and also with stop and frisk. Mm -hmm. Because we were living in Michigan at the Mm -hmm. time and then we moved back to New York and I had been stopped and frisked a ton of times getting out of my car. And I was like, "This, this is ridiculous. Like, I'd come, I'd come inside almost in tears, and Kay would be like, what's the matter? And I'm like, man, these cops just, you know, they, they took my bag, they, they looked at my bag, they pulled my shirt up, and then just sent me inside, like, okay, you good. And I'm like, I'm a hardworking American that just is walking into my apartment building. Why do I have to go through this two or three times a week, a month? And then I would get pulled over all the time, and then I was like, you know what, we need a change. And at the time, um, who was the president? I mean, who was the mayor at the time before de Blasio? Julian. Bloomberg. Wasn't that Bloomberg? Bloomberg. Bloomberg. It was Bloomberg. It was Bloomberg. You see yes. how old I am? I'm, yes. going, I'm pulling up old, old mayor. Under the Bloomberg administration, <laughs> we did very well economically. Mm-hmm. That's why he was able to get a third term when you're only supposed to be allowed two terms. But there were some other social issues that were just killing us as a people, killing me particularly, that I was just ready for a change. So. No, absolutely. So, Ashanti, let me ask you. I know that the the Black Girl Guide to Politics has taught so many about so many things. But in your experience, what have you learned about just politics or about people in this process? And, and um, you know, how, how is it affecting the impact of women in color in politics? It has definitely taught me a lot. And I think... It's even though I know this, just how even though our difference, we have such different experiences, there's still that common denominator of just being a woman of color in politics. And I think it really hit me when we did a podcast episode with Kaya Morris, who is a former state representative from Vermont. And she actually ended up resigning her seats because of all the racist threats that her and her family were getting. And she just said she couldn't take it anymore. And in that conversation, we just talked about the struggle of being women of color in this space. 
Because the reality is I wake up every day and I do work in a system that was not built for me. Mm. Politics was built for white land-owning men. And here I am showing that I have disrupted the system But not only is my presence showing that I've disrupted the system, but I'm also here to tell you I'm going to disrupt it some more by getting more women and women of color involved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm challenging power. And when you actually see those reactions, it definitely does something to you. And with Kaya's episode, just the number of emails I got, text messages from friends, and everyone was just telling me how they could relate so much to what she said about the struggle. So it's really taught me that even though we continue to make headway, there's still so much that we have to do to advance as women of color in politics. And I'm just really glad that people see the BGG as an outlet where they can hear from other women and also share the things that we talk about and express their thoughts, their problems, their solutions as well. So let me ask a quick question. What, What do we do to move forward and build off of this? Because, you know, everyone says we know what the problem is. We know what we have to do. How can someone educate themselves on politics? How can someone feel empowered as a voter, whether it is just a local election or the presidential election? A lot of people don't know how to gain information. I've had people ask me, should I watch CNN or Fox? Like, which one be lying more? <laughs> you know, like, these are some of the things that, that people ask me. And I want to be able to tell them, okay, if you really want to educate yourself, this is how you go about doing it. So that is why I created the resources page on the Brown Girls Guide website. And it has organizations that people can go to and look at what they are all about and find out for themselves. Just sitting at home watching CNN, Fox, MSNBC, that is not the answer. That is not the activism that we need. We need to be educating ourselves. So if you just do want to stay an activist, you need to find an organization that lets you channel those issues that you're passionate about. If you realize you want to be more than an activist and a campaign staffer, start researching organizations where you can put your talents to use. There are finance people on campaigns. So if you like money and want to raise money, you can do that. There's operations people. If you like that sort of thing, press people. Campaigns really are a business. So there's an opportunity to get involved there as well. Uh, And if you think you want to. I don't want to cut you off. But can you please ex- explain that campaigns are a business? And the reason why I say that is because people don't understand how much money gets involved in politics and how important it is oh to gosh. raise funds and and That's, how that yeah. can can pretty much deter or create a narrative for you to become the next local elected official. How is a campaign a business? A business, yeah. So a campaign is a business because at the end of the day, you have your candidate. So they are the business and they have to run this campaign We all know that campaigns need money. That is reality. But I also tell people is that we live in an age because of the 24-hour news cycle where people think that they have to raise millions of dollars to run for office. That's not true. There are races that only cost $10,000, $50,000, $100,000. You can absolutely raise that. When it comes to women and people of color, the majority of our money comes from small-dollar donor donations, which is all extremely possible. 
There are so many women, people of color, that do get outspent by non-white opponents. But guess what? They're still able to win because what they aren't able to do in fundraising, they still make up in shoe leather and knocking doors and having a good message, which is a part of selling your business the campaign. You need to have someone out there who is your press secretary helping you get your information out, someone helping you with your policy for how this is going to benefit the community. Again, you have your operations people who are making sure that your business is running well. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, there are all of these elements to campaigns, and there are opportunities for people to get involved as the activist volunteer or as a campaign staff. Gotcha. So So this money that they're raising is pretty much going to what? It's just going to like advertising and where's that money going? Oh, it's to running the campaign. Mm -hmm. So that can be if they are doing TV ads, if they are doing radio ads, Money goes to making sure that there's water for canvassers. So if it's a hot day, they're not getting dehydrated mm. to so staff all salaries. Pretty much, yeah, advertising. The, yeah, the marketing, the Facebook ads, the Twitter ads, the Instagram ads. This is what all of the money is used for. And to put the money into perspective, I tell people all the time that if they do a fundraiser with a $25 ticket and they have 25 people come, the money that they make from that fundraiser, that's actually enough money to buy campaign literature to put on doors or to send out. So it really doesn't have to be tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars to run this effective business, a.k.a. the campaign. Gotcha. So this is, I think this is important for people to understand, too. If a campaign is a business, that you know, they always say that um, they get jaded by politics because everyone is about the money. But if you understand off bat that if this is a business, you can't run a campaign for free, then you would be a little bit more educated about how you deal with politicians and how they get mm-hmm. your vote or how you how you can help the politician that you want to win, win. Even if you could help them do some fundraising on your own, would that be suffice it to say? Oh, absolutely. One of the things that I love is when people find a candidate where, like, that is my candidate, that is my girl, that is my person. These campaigns can create individual fundraising links for you. And you can actually go out to your friends, your family, and raise money for these candidates. I see it all ah. the time where people will say, see? It's my birthday. I'm raising it's money so, for Stacey Abrams. So many ways I used to see yeah. that all the time that's, during Stacey's gubernatorial race. <laughs> no, that's, the, this is actually no, great true. because so many millennials. Millennials are independent thinkers, and they say, you know what? I don't want to just vote. Mm-hmm. I want to help. How can I help? No, and it's true. They may not be able to go out there and, and march or do different things, but if you want to help, if you could help raise funds for the politician you think best represents your interests, now you know that there are ways as a millennial or a of Gen course. Z. It becomes more than just a hashtag. You know, it's right. easy to just be right. posting stuff and like, oh, repost this hashtag, you know, such and right. such for president. But now at this time, it's like, great, we can actually put our fingers and our hands in it and really support. So, th- you know, mm-hmm. this is just like a, a hypothetical question. Say I wanted to run for office, you know, Kadeem wanted to run for office, woman of color. Where would I start? Where would a woman of color start or anyone really start if they wanted to run for office? Is there kind of like a step-by-step that there is or a protocol that one has to go through in well, order to start the first, you got to pick an office. Race? You can't just say run for office. There's a lot of and offices. Exactly. <laughs> so that's the first thing. The first thing is to know why you are running and what you want to accomplish and then find the office that will allow you to get those things 
done. Mm -hmm. So you are effective for your community. And then I always recommend getting training. In my professional career, I'm the National Political Director for Emerge America, and we focus on recruiting and training women to run for office. And we do an in-depth signature 70-hour training program where we demystify the process of running for office. Other organizations do this, such as the Collective PAC, where they focus on Black candidates and Black campaign staff. They're a wonderful organization. It's run by my friends, Quentin and Stephanie Brown-James. Absolutely love them. They saw the need for this, so they're doing it. You also have other organizations, such as Run for Something, Running Start, which is for young women, Emily's List, Vote Run Lead, She Should Run, Just amazing groups are out there to provide the support so you don't have to do it alone. And they all have different structures. So if you aren't able to do an emerge because your race is starting now, you don't think you'll have the time, there's all these other organizations that you can go to to get some training and figure out, okay, how do I run this really great campaign? Mm, Very nice. Kind of reminds me of my pageant days. It's like, oh, I want to run for Miss America or I want to run for Miss Teen USA. Yeah, so I had to raise money. Then I had a team around me that (laughs) trained me, you know, in order to win. It's kind of like parallels there. So listen, Ashanti, I don't want to hold you up. Oh, I'm loving this conversation. But yeah, when when you run for office, you want to be prepared. But we really find that is especially true for women. We want to know, okay, exactly what are all the things that I need to do? And what we do at Emerge is I tell them we can definitely make you competent about what it takes to run for office. We can make you confident when you're out there on the campaign trail. And because we provide this network of support, we also make it less lonely because you have all these people who are uplifting you and rooting for you to succeed. That sounds great. great. So before we let you go, I have one one final question. Can you just give us some insight on what we can, we have a year now before the next presidential election. Oh yeah. What could we do Mm -hmm. to educate ourselves on picking the correct candidate? Yeah. The first thing is just to make sure all your voter registration is up to date. I have to start with that because we have all of these crazy, insane laws going on. We're most likely going to enter another presidential election cycle without the full protection of the Voting Rights Act, which is very scary. So the big thing you have to do is make sure that you're all set to vote. The second thing is think about your life. What is going to impact you the most over the next five years? Mm. And then those are going to be your issues that you're going to want to concentrate on when it's time to vote. And three, you got to start paying attention now. We are already in 2020. There is so much going on. So there's going to be another Democratic debate coming up. Make sure that you watch that. One of the things that we have on the BGG events page is we list all of the different presidential forums that happen and those happen across the country. So look for a presidential forum to attend as well so you can get up close and personal to these candidates. You just don't have to see them on your TV and make sure that you're paying attention to the things that are coming through in your local news, especially when these candidates visit. CNN, MSNBC, Fox, They're always going to be there, but you want to hone in on what's going to happen locally, and that has to be in your local papers, and we just aren't reading them anymore. And if you start to focus on those three things, you will be ready to vote come November 2020. Thank you so much. So we have voter registration. 
We have your life impacts for the next five years and also watch the debates. And while I'm, I'm asking about watching the debates, you mentioned GOTV. Can you explain to us real briefly what GOTV yeah, is? Yeah, for our listeners who may not know. Yes. So when I said GOTV, mm-hmm. that is get out the vote. Absolutely. And before we wrap you and, um, you know, thank you for being here. Just really quick, do you have maybe like two or three important issues for the presidential candidates that are coming up? Anything that they're focusing on you think will be the hot topics that they're going to try to kind of sell to Americans? What are going to be those those key things we're going to look at? Definitely look at criminal justice reform. Okay. That is a big one yes. for both Democrats yep. and Republicans. Yes. Absolutely. There is the 2020 Bipartisan Justice Forum coming up that's going to focus on criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. And I believe that one's going to be streamed. So you can check out their website. I would also look at gun violence prevention. That's going Absolutely. to be a big mm. one as well. Absolutely. And then for the third one, I'd probably have to go with a tie between climate change and health care. Okay. So I think those are big ones we can see all of the political parties focusing on. It's insane. You just saying those three topics, I literally got chills because I can think about how it directly impacts, if not me, someone I know. And, and, also in the, you know, boys, and it's in our boys in the future. And the future. It's just, it's just insane. It's insane. I hear you. I tell people I don't have kids, but I have a niece and five nephews. And for me, when I'm doing my five years, my five years includes their life too. For sure. Absolutely. What are the things Absolutely. that they're going to need as they grow up in this country? Ashanti, you are a wealth of knowledge with a topic that I particularly, <laughs> I feel like I've been a little quiet this session because I'm really trying to take this in. And I think it's so important for people to really hear from an expert and someone who is devoted to this cause and to this topic to really give us information. So thank you for taking time out of your super busy schedule to come in and chat with us for a little bit. And maybe we can have you back on like next year or something in the next next season or two when the actual elections are happening so we can see what's happened and what's developed from now till then. Yeah, oh, I would love that. This has been so much fun. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, thank you, Ashanti, man. It's definitely our pleasure. And keep doing what you do, man. We definitely need you. Absolutely. And right before you Uh, go, make sure you tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find the Brown Girls Guide. Give us all of your handle information so they can know to follow. Awesome. Yes. So the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, our website is thebgguide.com. And you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at thebgguide. And all of my social handles is just my name, Ashanti Golar. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ashanti. Thank you. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you. And enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks so much. This for the record. There it is. A win for the ages. Tiger Woods is one of our most awe-inspiring sports icons. And his story, it comes with many chapters. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. But here it is. The return to glory. This is All-American. A new series from Stitcher, hosted by me, Jordan Bell. You realize Tiger Woods doesn't know who he is. Best in the history of golf. No question in my mind. And this season, with the help of journalist Albert Chen, we're asking. What if the story of Tiger Woods that the media has been telling, what if it's been completely wrong? All-American Tiger is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. 
All right, guys, we're back. And now it's time for my favorite part of the show, as you all know, and Kadeen's favorite, because she is... Nosy. All right. <laughs> yes. They got it now. I think you've drilled that into their head enough. We got listener letters, ladies Sheesh. and gentlemen. <laughs> so let's start with question number one. All right, go ahead and read that. What advice do you have about transitioning into adulthood? Don't if do you- it. <laughs> Great. That one's done. There you go. Um, okay. <laughs> and if you could give your 25-year-old self some advice, what would you tell yourself? To provide some background information, I am 25 and I've just started a new chapter in my life where I've moved into a different area, started a new position, and I'm starting my master's program in the fall. Okay. I'm watching my peers start to do serious things like get married and have children, start full-time jobs after graduating from college, and things of that nature. It's a bit overwhelming, and lately I find myself reminiscing on the way things used to be when I was in undergrad and was surrounded by my friends and in college environment. Girl, that's the first Woo! thing. That's the Well, I, sh- I say girl. I don't know if it's a girl or a guy, so excuse me for that. But the first thing is, the first thing that I would tell you as that piece of advice, stop comparing your life and your path and your road to everyone else around you. Yes. That is a sure, sure shot, surefire way to then start feeling overwhelmed and feeling a bit depressed and feeling as if you aren't achieving things at the rate other people are achieving things. And that just may not be your walk. Also, people be lying on Instagram. All right, people be lying on social media. <laughs> Everybody's life looks amazing on social media. It's a reel of highlights, folks. It looks amazing. So okay. when you look at other people's life on social media, don't get all excited and say, "Wow, they're doing everything perfect," and right. I'm here stuck. Right. Majority of the people you see on social media are stuck as well. Absolutely. But they just post what they want to post so they can uh, curate a narrative for you to see. But so if you do have friends, don't look who at are, social media like that. Yeah, but if you do have friends who are like close friends who are getting married and having children and starting their full time jobs, that just may be what is in their lineup for them at that moment. You said that you're now starting fresh, a new chapter. You've moved into a different area, starting a mm-hmm. new position. So you sounds like you're in the building pr- phase of things. The building phase of things require sometimes, you know, having to have that tunnel vision where you're kind of drowning everything else out and you're focusing on that. But it's also that uh, that it's, a, it's the building of it. So it's going to be a slow process of trying to get into your routine and, you know, making sure that you're doing everything to then advance, in, whether it's your career or your life in whatever avenue you're taking it. But I just say, try not to compare yourself to other people. It was hard. Deval and I did that in the very beginning too. When we were around 25, 26, that's when we got engaged because everyone around us was getting engaged and it seemed like the right thing to do. And, you know, you have that list of things that you're trying to do in your life where it's like, you know, I got to start this job and then I have to meet someone and I have to date. And then after we date, we get engaged and then we get married and we have children and things don't necessarily pan out that way. So don't be too hard on yourself. It seems like you do have somewhat of a good situation um, happening right now because you are, you know, starting a new uh, master's program and a new position. So just keep building, you know, put your nose down and just keep building and and work at it. And I think you'll be all right. But you did ask specifically what advice I would give my 25-year-old self. And Mm -hmm. I would tell my 25-year-old self this. Remember that your life will not be defined by what you do in your 20s, period. It doesn't matter how much money you make or lose. If you get married, have kids, don't. You have so much life to live. When you start to think that you have to do everything between the ages of 20 and 29, that's when you're going to become overwhelmed and then you're going to lose it. Yep. That's the biggest way to disappointment, setting high expectations for yourself. So right. remember, you got your whole life to do these things. Yeah. Get them done. They'll get done in your own time. Yeah. Set the expectations and dream big. Definitely dream big. But you know, just know it takes time to work at it. All right. Hope that helps you out. On to question number two. All right. My man and I live an hour apart. 
but for almost two years, we've always made the effort to see each other. It may not be every day, but we appreciate each other's company more than you know. We recently got married, and although I'm madly in love with my husband, I also love my own space. I purposely don't push the conversation of moving in together. I dream of having our beautiful place to call home, but getting there seems to be the hard part for me. How do I move forward without the anxiety of moving in together? We've had conversations about it, and I have no problem admitting that I'm the holdup. Wow. Oh, so you're recently married and still living apart. That's interesting. Because I would think once you're married, you would just be wanting to then move together or Listen, move into the same space. But I've learned not to judge people on how they live. If you got married and live apart and it works for y'all, then it works for y'all. Because but, I, I've recently said to Kadeen that I feel like we work best when we're not together all the time. Right. You know, sometimes moving in together can be the worst thing for a relationship because right. you don't know how to give each other some space. And I think, so, like, with us, Deval and I, it's been, shoot, just past 17 years together. So sometimes alone time is the best time because yes. you can really just kind of unwind and be yourself yeah. and you don't have that that need to feel like you have to always, quote-unquote, entertain somebody. Um, and we're okay with moments like that, Deval and I. Um, but, but what yeah, I wonder is, though, why even get married Mm-hmm. If you're not comfortable sharing personal space, like that seems to be like a very personal decision to make. We're gonna be together, mm-hmm. but we're gonna be together away. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand that either. Um, it seems you know, like that was a big. Yeah, we recently got married, and although I'm madly enough with my husband, I also love my own space. I don't know, sis. And then it also, she's also saying at the same time too that she knows she's the holdup, and he's had conversations about it. So you know, so he there's wants a desire to move in. for him he to, wants move to move in, in with her, right? She don't want to move in, but she wanted to get married. I, I, I'm wondering why she wanted to get married if she don't want to live with somebody, right? Not saying that you have to live with somebody to be married, because clearly you don't. Especially 2019, you can do whatever you want to do. Facts. I just don't. I don't understand if you value your personal space that much then that means being by yourself is more valuable than being with someone. Why would you choose to spend your life building with someone? Yeah, and that would be rough, I would feel like, at, you know, for a husband or for a spouse, you know, whatever. If, if putting myself in his shoes, feeling like we're married and now I can't have you, like, with me building a home together. Like, what, what what's the timeline for that? And I'm wondering what the conversations have sounded like. Like, what's his perspective on yeah. it? You know, so I would love to, to get a little more information about this question, but I'm left kind of feeling like... You know what? What are we doing here? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> a little, we? I'm a little confused because oh. I don't know why you get married if you don't want to live together. Right. I know there are other valuable and assets I mean, to being married. There's but. probably ways to also still have your space while being married or living in the home. You know, like sometimes a guy has their man cave or maybe you might want your, you know, little space where it's yours or time for yourself. She says she wants own space. I can get that. But want a husband. That's kind of controlling. You I think. want a husband, but I want to be by myself. <laughs> I want not, you around when I want you around. Other right. Than that's that, not. That's other not. Other than that. <laughs> I don't know, sis. I don't know. That's interesting. But yeah, I'm curious to know what those conversations sound like. And how do I move forward without the anxiety of moving in together? I mean, you may have to also give it a try. You know, I'm an advocate for trying living it with someone before marriage just to kind of see how it goes. But not everyone is. Um, she don't want to be married. She probably wanted to have a nice wedding. 
got a nice <laughs> wedding. He probably was thinking, you know what? Once I get married, she gonna let me. Move She's in. gonna want to be. And with she me. was like, Nah, bro, I'm still gonna be <laughs> by myself. I don't know. Send us a follow up to that, sis. Let let us know yes. what's going on. We might have to do a part two to that one. All Absolutely. Right. And if you want to be featured as one of our listener letters, email us at deadassadvice at gmail That's d e a d a s s a d v i c e at gmail dot com. All right, moment of truth time. Moment of truth time. So we talked politics, doing the right thing, being well-versed in your political affiliations. What's your takeaway from today, babe? This is my biggest takeaway. You know, um, I think we've passed the time of where it's like if you're just black, you're Democrat. We have a lot more independent black thinkers out here in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So choosing to register as independent may work for people. And then I've I've learned a lot in the last ele- uh, presidential ele- election about people saying, earn my vote. Like, you got to earn my vote. Mm-hmm. Don't just think that because I'm a Democrat, I'm automatically going to get all these people to vote for me. Mm-hmm. We need to make people earn our votes. And we need to do the correct due diligence to give the people the vote that we believe in. Mm-hmm. Rather than just saying, hey, I'm going to go with this political party. Right. Whether it's Republican, whether it's Democrat. You really have to educate yourself and educate yourself on what's important for you first, not just what's important for everybody. Because these things that you do, these people you vote for are going to affect you daily, especially in local elections. So, listen, be independent. Be an independent thinker. Don't just follow the crowd. Educate yourself and vote for the person that can help change your life. Yep. I think that's a that's a great uh, takeaway from today. Um, in that also, too, um, piggybacking off of that, I think that my biggest takeaway is that politics is more than just a hashtag. It's mm. more than sitting behind your phone and, you know, hashtagging whatever movement is happening at the time. It's really about trying to get your feet wet in it and being a Be part active. of it. Be active. So like Ashanti said, if it meant that, you know, you're really um, – you know, gung-ho about this particular candidate. It's like going to the base camp and seeing how you can help with that business side of it. Right, Does it mean right. that you're going to be out there helping, you know, to pass out pamphlets? Or are you going to be helping to collect money to contribute to this 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 candidate's movement? Like, really just putting your hands in and your feet in and saying, you know what, I'm going to be a part of this. And then in that in that turn, you can also then be have, have more, um, you'll be more educated. You know, ultimately it boils down to just being more educated about what your choice is going to be. You said something just now that resonated with me that I completely forgot about. But politics is business. Mm -hmm. A campaign is a business. Mm -hmm. You don't blindly invest in any business. Nope. You shouldn't blindly invest in politics. Facts. Dead ass. Soundbite for you there. (laughs) Dead ass. So be sure to follow us on social media. That's I am DeVal. And Kadeen I am. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. For sure. Dead ass, y'all. Deadass is a production of Stitcher. It's produced by T-Square and Denora Pena. Our chief content officer is Chris Bannon. Our associate producers are Kristen Torres and Treble. Our studio engineer and original music is by Brendan Burns and mixed by Andy, Kristen's daughter. Back. I'm Drew McGarry. And I'm David Roth. We have a podcast going on right now as part of the Stitcher Network called The Distraction. That's available everywhere you get your podcast at uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple. Go listen right now to The Distraction. Right now, it's out. Do it, please.